Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. My name is Tom, you may know me as the creator of Like Stories of Old, and I'm joined by fellow video essayist Thomas Flight to talk about Amadeus, directed by Milos Forman. Thomas, why do you want to talk about Amadeus? Amadeus is a movie that has been on my list for a long time. I believe it's on the AFI Top 100. I'm not sure Mm -hmm. what number it is, but it's critically acclaimed. I'd never seen it before, so this was my first time watching it. Oh, okay. I thought you had seen it, but... (laughs) Yeah, no, this was my first time jumping in, and I've heard a lot about it. I'm gradually trying to watch all those AFI Top 100 movies anyway, so, you know, I was happy to watch this one and figured that it would be worth talking about. You'd seen it before, so what was your interest in discussing this film? It's one of my favorites, I think, of definitely on my top 50 of all time, I would say, even if that's kind of an arbitrary number. But for those of you who do not know, Amadeus is a movie about Mozart, the famous composer. I'm not sure exactly how you would describe him, but obviously one of the most influential people in classical music and music in general. And the story is told from the perspective of actually a contemporary of his, Salieri, who comes to see Mozart as sort of a rival. Like at first he's taken aback by the way Mozart presents this almost godlike talent. And he at first is like in awe of it, but at the same time he is appalled by the character of Mozart. Like he cannot fandom why God would instill so much talent in such a, I think he describes it as like a crude little boy or something like that. But it becomes this great story about envy also and about the painfulness of being mediocre essentially. And it frames it all into this interesting, almost existential framework. And I'd seen it for the first time a couple of years ago. It's been one of my favorites ever since. It actually inspired for me like a an interest in classical music. Like I, yeah. I think that if you want to get started with classical music, like this is a good place to start actually. So that's one of the main reasons I've been wanting to talk about it for a long time. It, it's just such a good movie and rewatching it last night, it, it still holds up so well, even though it's, it's made in the eighties, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. 1984. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to discuss about like, not even so much the character of Mozart, but more so his relation to those around him and especially like uh, Salieri as his quote unquote, like mediocre perspective on things. He represents like the normal person and the kind of relation that develops there. It's exploring a lot of interesting themes, rivalry, probably a lot of people who are artists or creative people have had hopefully not to the intensity that Salieri has in this film, but I think that most creative people probably feel to some extent, which is even if it's very slight and you kind of brush those feelings aside because generally, you know, they're not healthy or productive, but the feeling of like admiration alongside jealousy or envy of like, oh, well, you know, why couldn't I have done that? Or that should have been me making that or doing that. And for Salieri in this movie, it's it's also wrapped up in his belief that like, he's not just lamenting, why didn't people appreciate me? He's lamenting like God, you know, not bestowing him with the talents that he's giving to Mozart in this. Though the way the music is integrated into the film is very cool. And it definitely made me interested in exploring this area of classical music. Obviously, I'm familiar with Mozart to some extent, but like haven't explored it deeply. 
it's a very fictionalized story. It's not super like historically accurate, but just having some kind of personal story attached to some of this music. I liked how they kind of play with the idea of like how his life was inspiring different pieces of music that he's writing and stuff like that. And I think that's an element of like older artistic work that sometimes, at least for me, can get lost, like especially when it's so Mm -hmm. famous, it's so popular, you can almost lose that kind of intimacy or personality. And so having a person to attach to that and like something to remind you that like, oh, the person who was writing this incredibly like powerful, evocative piece of music, like had a life that was to some degree, you know, like inspiring what they were creating. Mm-hmm. And so that frames things in an interesting way. But yeah, one of the first questions I have for you, I'm sure you have a lot you want to talk about with this. Mm-hmm. But one of the first questions I have with you is there's so many different ways you could tell a story about Mozart specifically, I guess. What do you think is the significance of or what do you think about just this general framing device of like, oh, we're going to come at this from the perspective of an envious rival? Like, why is that such a fascinating story to tell here? It's one of the things I love most about this film. I think it really, especially when you compare it to like musical biographies that you see a lot of right now, like something like Bohemian Rhapsody or something like that, which feels more like cookie cutter. Like those are clearly films that do not live up to the importance of the music that they are supposed to portray, or at least the story behind the music that we love so much. And I think with Emma Days, there's one of the few examples where the story lives up to almost like I'm not saying that Amadeus is to film what Mozart was to music, but it's like, I think it's a, it's a worthy like story for the importance that Mozart had. And when you frame it as from this perspective of a rival composer, for one, it's just a really interesting framing device because the story begins actually with Salieri in his old age. Like he's confessing to a priest actually who he attempted suicide. And so there's a priest that comes by He survives, obviously, and then there's a priest who comes by and he's trying to, like, get a confession out of him or, like, tries to connect in some way or another with Salieri to help him or something like that or absolve him or all of his sins or something like that. And that's basically when Salieri starts to tell the story of his experiences with Mozart and his life before that. And the whole movie kind of feels like this whole, like this confession almost, like he's confessing to God, like all his internal struggles, his sins and his struggle with encountering what he sees as like absolute beauty, but then directed, as you said, like not through him, but through this character that he doesn't fully understand. The, The immediate effect of that is that you have this character who is, you talk about this great figure in classical music but when you have this character who is also like very passionate about classical music you get someone who translates that passion into words that you can understand as someone who might not be knowledgeable about classical music like there's whole scenes where he just describes the music of Mozart and he does it with like such passion which for me like enlightened a lot about the way you even listen to music like that in ways that I don't even recognize like he will describe like the instrument and the note that hangs there and then there's another another instrument that takes it over and then he really conveys that passion in a way that makes me like awakens that passion within me as well a little bit yeah and i also really want to give a shout out to uh, f murray abraham here i think this is one of the few films where i really like noticed the incredible acting work like the way he both portrays like the younger version of 
Salieri as well as the older one. He does it with such effectiveness and he really like carries that movie for me. Even though Mozart, the actor who plays Mozart, is also uh, really great and interesting. This was a rare case where they were both up for Academy Awards for Best Actor the year this came out. And I think Murray F. Abraham is the one who who ended up winning. Yeah. But that doesn't happen frequently. And this it might even be the most recent time that it's happened. But yeah, good good performances. Yeah. So anyways, I think that's something that really elevated this movie a lot because I'm guessing that a lot of people, they may like some classical music, but they don't have a like intimate familiarity with it or like a very deep passion about it. And so using this other character as the framing device to help you understand what it is that we're supposed to be in awe about, that's something that really, to me, is much more effective, I think, than just playing the music and letting the audience trust that they understand why we are supposed to care about this yeah or just play like mozart's the greatest hits and leave it at that <laughs> it's almost painted too as if salieri is one of the few people in the film who like truly recognizes mozart's mm-hmm. talent at the time because a lot of the other people are skeptical of his work or they appreciate it but you know they have notes about how many notes there are or, or whatever there is mm-hmm. salieri is a fascinating character because he has this incredible spite for mozart for reasons that like are a little bizarre, like he makes a deal with God basically. And the reason, like at least the form that Salieri's spite for Mozart takes is this very interesting mm-hmm. one of like, it's almost not because Mozart's more successful than him, although that's certainly an element of it, but he's like wrapped it in this weird spiritual situation where Salieri makes this deal with God and says like, oh, if you make me famous, a famous composer, then I will do all these things for you. I'll be chaste. That's the biggest one, it seems like, the most important to him. Mm -hmm. But like, I'll give you my industry, like I'll live my life for you. And he sees God as having struck this deal with him because like shortly after he prays and makes that deal with God, his father, who was against Salieri being a composer, dies. And so in Salieri's mind, he's doing this deal with God wherein like he is this super chaste, pious guy. And in return, he gets endowed with already in the early scenes, there's a tension in Salieri's mind that's being revealed because he says his motivation is like making great music. But really, it's also kind of like we can kind of see that maybe it's really more him being famous that he wants. Like the fame is the thing that he's kind of in pursuit of, which I think is part of why Mm -hmm. he feels such a failure in spite of his success. We'll get to that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so like what he hates about Mozart is not that he's a better musician. He, In fact, he loves his music. He like adores it. He sees it as this thing. It's through Salieri's passion for Mozart's music that like you're saying we understand what the music is. But then... It's Mozart's personal character. At least this is what Salieri says. It's Mozart's personal character that he really finds so offensive. It's like, how could God Mm -hmm. give this gift of music to somebody who's so crass and vulgar, which is just this fascinating, bizarre scenario that that Salieri has worked up in his mind. Yeah. I also love the way Mozart laughs in this film, which apparently is based on now outdated evidence as to some descriptions about him having this really high-pitched like jarring laughter but 
I like the way they still had it in the movie as a way to kind of emphasize that Mozart is kind of representing the mockery of God towards Salieri. That Yeah, yeah. And it does so in a lot of ways, like where it takes these historical insecurities and frames them in a way that they make sense in the movie thematically. Like there's some debate about the exact cause of death of Mozart. Mm-hmm. And so in the movie, you, you see that Salieri, he confesses to killing Mozart and he actually schemes to kill him or I think poison him or something. But in the end, he just doesn't literally kill Mozart, but he still feels like through his prayers and through his like yeah. somehow his spiritual intervention, he still has succeeded in killing Mozart. It's, it's He's still at fault for desiring him dead, like he is responsible for him actually dying, even if that death was completely unrelated to anything that Salieri had done. Even at the end, he kind of alludes to feeling like God even maybe takes his own vengeance by like taking Mozart's life before he could finish the requiem for mass that he's getting Mozart to to write. Mozart dies and Salieri is such a conflicted character. Like it's rare. I liked this about the character because it's rare that you see someone who on screen is so contradictory like he'll say something and then he'll say another thing like a few lines later that is like in conflict with himself and there's this like madness to it where like and in, in one stroke he's taking credit for the death of mozart and saying like i murdered him and then in another he's like no god killed him and took from me like my attempt at getting back at God or or Mozart or, you know, whatever it is. And I really love the way that kind of unfolds and you kind of just get this sense of almost insanity that has built mm-hmm. up in him, like, over time. Yeah, I think he also just has, he's struggling with internal contradictions. Yes. Or, yeah, like, the whole presence and existence of Mozart to Salieri is, like, a an element of confusion and internal contradiction because... As you said, he, you mentioned he was also looking out for like fame. He wanted to be recognized as this great composer. But I think that's also, I think he kind of ties his own personal grandiosity with the idea of wanting to be in God's grace. And yes. he believed he was because he, as you said, he made the pact. He kept his part of the bargain. And then God rewarded him by making him this great composer to like the emperor. And he has this great position. But then comes along like someone who truly manifests the voice of God through music. And he suddenly feels like that his whole career was like a scam or that yeah. God had pulled some kind of joke on him. Like he says at some point, all I ever wanted was to sing to God. He gave me that longing and then made me mute. Why? Tell me that. If he didn't want me to praise him with music, why implant the desire? Like a lust in my body and then deny me the talent. And that to me, that's such a fascinating idea where I think a lot of, which is also like the source of envy in some ways, that you simultaneously have like a passion or a desire for something, but at the same time, you also seem to lack like the means to truly fulfill it. And then especially when someone else comes along who does seem to be able to do it, and especially when he does it with such, almost with a carelessness and maybe even an arrogance, then that's like the heart of the conflict, I think, in this whole story. And yeah, that's pretty much like the whole problem of envy, I think. There's such an interesting little element of that line, too. I I wrote that one down in my notes because it gives away something about the conflict at the core of Salieri, which is like, he says, like, God made me mute. And it's like, well, he's not mute. He's the court composer. He points out at the beginning that he had a lot of very popular 
work. Ironically, this movie kind of resuscitated an interest in Salieri as a composer and mm -hmm. and I listened to some of his stuff. And it's no Mozart, you know, it's not it doesn't have quite the same gravitas, but like it's not bad. It's far from bad composition to my layman's ears. I'm not super educated, but like it, it sounds fine. It sounds good, decent stuff. But compared to Mozart, he has nothing. It's like to me, it seems like what Salieri really wanted was not to be good, was not to create work. It was to have this greatness to be like, I want to be the one who's remembered. Mm -hmm. The envy ultimately, like one of the things I think is being portrayed here is that the envy ultimately isn't really about the music. It's about the idea of recognition for that or like, you know, that's what he's really desiring. Mm -hmm. And there's only one person who can get that, which is why it can't be like something that's shared. It's like, it's either you or I have it. Like Mozart has it or Salieri has it. Only one of us can be the one speaking the voice of God. And there's this fascinating, uh, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is the one at the, towards the very end where they're composing together or like Mozart is dictating and Salieri is taking it down. And you can see like the joy that Salieri has like in doing that, like, he, like he's loving it. He's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's amazing. But it, within his worldview, he can't be okay with that. It's like, he needs more than that. He needs to be the one. Most dangerous or like the most problematic aspect of envy is that it's also fundamentally like irrational and yes. insatiable to some extent. Yeah. I mean, do you see yourself as an envious person generally? I mean, it's definitely something I strive to avoid in my life. It's something I actively try to stay away from. I think it's definitely hard not to fall into that trap at times. There's times where I watch things or I'm like, especially in the world we live in now in spaces like YouTube, where like how successful someone is, you can quantify exactly like in certain numbers and like these people have more views, these people, you know, it can, it can be hard not to get caught up in that sometimes. I definitely try to the best of my ability to avoid that uh, way of thinking. Envy is probably of the like, when you look at the old biblical sins, I think envy is the one I struggle with the most. I don't know why, but I've always had it. Like even when I was a child, like I had this set of toy dinosaurs, but then there was like this buddy of mine, he had like different dinosaurs. And even though I had more or like, quote unquote, better ones, like I still wanted the other ones. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and even now, like to this day, as you said, like on YouTube, it's especially something that you can easily struggle with or like a trap that you fall into. Like I won't name any names, but I, I still follow like some YouTubers that I really liked when they were smaller than my own channel. But now there's some that have like since surpassed mine and they went from being this cool like small creator that I could admire to someone who's now making three, maybe four times the amount of money that I make and getting like double the recognition, perhaps even more so. And so I can't help but feel like my relation to those people has has changed like a little bit. Like I have to actively yeah. check myself to not fall into like this envious Salieri mode where I'm like scorning God for not instilling within me that talent or giving me that same recognition. The one thing that's different, I think there's like two forms of envy, maybe like the one that's somewhat based on a kind of justified sense of like, I feel like my work is somewhat equal to that of the other person, yet the other person gets more recognition or more rewards or whatever. But there's also the unjustified part where you just feel like this person has more than me. So now I want more too, even though like 
I'm already like, I'm making okay amounts of money on YouTube. Like I'm fortunate enough to have this be my main job, like my main occupation. Like if I go back like two or three years, then that would have been like an absolute victory. And I should be like super happy because I have achieved like pretty much what I wanted to do. And still there's always like, that's the insatiable part of envy. Like it always finds like a new focus point to direct its own hunger and like attention so that's why it's really important to not give into envy and think like oh if only i get this thing that i right now am envious of then it's gonna absolve my envy like because it will just find something new so you need to like check it right like right at the beginning and at least be conscious of it and keep it like close yeah. in your awareness and otherwise you'll end up slurring god in uh, <laughs> vengeful monologues <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> There's a form of it that I feel sometimes that I really don't like, which is like every now and then I'll watch something that somebody else has made and I'll be like, oh, it maybe it's vaguely similar to like an idea I had for something. Mm -hmm. And there's this feeling of like, oh, I could have made that or like I should have made that. And instead of like just appreciating that somebody else made it and that you're now getting to like watch what they made, there's this feeling of like, oh, no, I should have been the one who made that. I had that somewhat ironically when I wanted to make a video about Envy and then the channel uh, ContraPoints did one, <laughs> uh, which yeah, was like yeah. three times the length of what I had in mind and also much more in-depth on certain areas. I wasn't like too mad about it because ContraPoints has a very specific style and presentation that I feel like even if I did like something similar or even like a lesser version of that it would still be in my voice but yeah it was a kind mm -hmm. of a funny coincidence but because of that i didn't yeah. end up making mine so it did have consequences i guess <laughs> envy is it's not great as this movie shows the biggest thing is you're robbing yourself of fully appreciating like your own talent mm -hmm. or what you have been able to achieve or the path you can take that would provide the most enjoyment or fulfillment and I think that's part of what this this movie shows where that scene where they're like working together mm -hmm. in that moment, I'm like, no, like if he could have set aside all of his need for like being the chosen one that was blessed by God to make this music, then he could have found such an enjoyment in that. But instead, like his envy leads him to destroy this thing that he loves or at least attempt to, you know. And so, yeah. There's a very clear picture here, I think, of like envy as a destructive force. Sometimes it's not even just that, or it can be also just like this waste of energy, because especially like yes. nowadays, when you're not like uh, going back to like the context of YouTube, like when I'm envious of another YouTuber and I'm like obsessing in my mind, like about wanting to have what that person has, they probably don't know about my existence. Like it's such an internal phenomenon as well. Like if you... Look at some other sins like wrath. It's something they express into the world or like you take it out on someone or or with lust, you at least get something like superficially enjoyable in return if you indulge it. But I think envy is it's just like internally destructive and it's just such a wasteful energy. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that, that always makes me feel like extra, like not shameful, but like regretful about indulging in envy is that i know that it's just me like i'm like spending so much of my like mental space and energy to something that no one else cares or even knows about like i'm just creating this whole issue in my mind and then i'm suffering because of that whole self-created thing and then right right yeah 
like the best you can do is if you hate a YouTuber, you can drop a dislike or something, but <laughs> that's right. <laughs> otherwise, like usually my, my envy doesn't really affect others. I guess yeah. that's a good way to keep it in check to some extent. Like at least, you know, like, uh, okay, I'm just, as long as I'm not actively out hurting others, then it's, it's not too bad, but. You're not dressing up as any YouTuber's dead fathers and uh, <laughs> going to, uh, <laughs> I commission you to make the greatest video you've ever made. And then, and then I'm going to murder you and, and play it at your funeral. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, it hasn't gone that far yet. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Although I did look at your channel and I think we were both at like the same level of subscribers now that like you're. I'm pretty sure like you're going to surpass mine soon. So For a while, you know, I have to admit I was envious of you because you were ahead of me and now I've caught up. Now I'm not envious of you mm -hmm. anymore. So the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just, it's always like, it, it's funny when you kind of reveal, but that it's always when you're envious of someone and then you hear that the person may have been envious about some other aspect of you as well. Yeah. Like I was always envious of you. You had like much greater viral hits and much more ad revenue. And uh, this actually, we're going back to the story about the toy dinosaurs, like that buddy I mentioned, like I spoke to him like years later on, on a reunion. And then I, and that's where I learned that he was actually like very envious of me and the dinosaurs that I had. <laughs> yeah. So that was another like reminder that, oh yeah, okay. There's always like these cycles of envy and yeah, it's best not to worry too much about it if you can yeah this episode was brought to you by Mubi, the curated streaming service showing hand-picked exceptional films from around the globe which both thomas and i have been big fans of for many years that's right they have such a fantastic library of amazing films and they're constantly adding to it a new one every day they have timeless classics cult favorites masterpieces it's a very wide, diverse library with a bunch of new stuff to discover. Yeah, I personally love the way they curate their own list, especially if you're new to cinema. That's very helpful to get started. But also if you're already familiar with cinema, it's a great place to discover new things and to explore new directions, interesting pieces of cinema that you may not have come across yet. One thing I like that they have that other streaming sites don't is you can search for movies even that they don't have on the movie website. So if we're talking about a film, you can search it on movie. And even if they don't have that film, it will show other similar films that might be in the movie library. So you can kind of use whatever we're talking about as a jumping off point to finding something that's available on movie. Go to movie.com slash cinema of meaning or just click the link in the show notes to try Mubi for free today for 30 days. Be sure to claim your extended free trial and start your month of great cinema today by going to mubi.com slash cinema of meaning. Well, and that's the thing. You can always, if you want to feel envy, which I mean, it's not like people are sitting down and going, I want to be envious and then coming up with mm -hmm. a reason why, but like if you're going to feel envious, you can always justify a way to feel that way. Like, you know, the things I was always envious of with your channel would be like, well, I get all these views, but, mm -hmm. you know, popularity doesn't really mean quality. And he has a lot more patrons, which means that, like, they must really, like, appreciate his work on a deep level because they want to give money, like, directly to him. And so it's like you can find a way to, like, talk yourself into 
why this person's situation is is really better than mine or mm -hmm. whatever. That's the case with Salieri in this movie, too, where it's like he's being recognized. He's the court composer and Mozart's like struggling to find lessons, although Salieri is kind of sabotaging him in the, in the film a little bit. But like Mozart is struggling financially. He's struggling in all these other ways. But it's this idea that Salieri has that like this is God's music like mm -hmm. coming through Mozart or like this is the greatest and that's what I don't have. And so like he, you know, he overlooks his status or his material position or whatever in comparison to Mozart. And speaking of mutual envy, like there's a moment in the film where Mozart even kind of reveals that like he thought that like he was maybe even a little desirous of Salieri's approval. There's a little moment there. I, I don't I don't remember when it happens, but I love that, too, that there's this even the sense that like Mozart desires the recognition that Salieri is giving him of like, oh, you know, your work is really good. Oh, when he comes to I think it's when he comes to the vaudeville or maybe there is a moment before that, too. But after he takes him home from the vaudeville, Mozart composes this vaudeville. So he's kind of stooped to this like lower level by doing like populist work, the kind of stuff that would get a lot of clicks on YouTube. And <laughs> he like collapses during the performance. And Salieri's the one who like rushes in and like takes him home. And when Mozart like wakes up and realizes that he's appreciative of the fact that Salieri was there at the vaudeville, like that recognition means something to him. Mm -hmm. I think that might be like a very good way to overcome if you're envious of a particular person and then learning that that person is also envious either about you or just about something in general that that I think is a really humanizing quality. Yeah, yeah. That really brings someone down because when you envy someone, you kind of put them on the pedestal a little bit. And then when you learn that someone else is suffering from like the same lower like sins that you do, the same. Right petty grievances that kind of brings them down a little bit, that kind of puts you, puts them back on your own level. There's definitely also, when you're looking at more more specifically at Mozart's character, there's, there's definitely some sense of, on the one hand, like he's, his talent is kind of framed as that his talent comes from, at least in the beginning, although this is from Salieri's perspective, that he is pretty much like privileged with having had a father who like, taught him everything like Mozart from the yeah from like an early age he was like born into music and like he was writing operas at the age of seven or something like that and composing pieces at like 11 like something that other children would not be able to like even if they had the talent like so there is like an element of privilege there or maybe also makes like Mozart more feel like he has to prove himself more to others because he's also right he's coming in with like he has these ideas for like all kinds of operas and stuff that are very unconventional and they kind of he wants to do them in german even though like the the standard language for operas was italian and he wants to talk about love and he thinks like that german is the language to do so even though again the italians see italian as like the language of love and so he feels like he's kind of fighting an uphill battle to some extent but at the same time he's also like kind of arrogant about the italians and everyone who doesn't know anything right. about real music or so yeah there's, there's contradictions with him too like would be between like wanting to be recognized by the same people he to some level looks down on like i'm not sure what to make of it or make of it exactly yeah, because we yeah. don't really get as intimate of a look into Mozart's character as in Salieri's. It reminded me a little bit of Cool Hand Look, which we discussed earlier, where you also have this larger-than-life character, and we 
kind of see it from the point of view of someone from like someone who's observing from the sideline. There's a, an amazing kind of parallel between their fathers where you have Salieri whose father didn't want him to become a composer, but it's kind of maybe alluded to was like responsible for Salieri's piousness to a certain extent. Like he's going to a church with his father at the beginning. And then you have Mozart's father who is like provided that privilege that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then, but he's kind of haunted by his father. Mozart is because his father doesn't approve of his lifestyle where he's, you know, out at parties and drinking and, you know, living in a mess and all this. Yeah, there's definitely an interesting mm -hmm. relationship there. I'm looking forward to watching it again eventually because it's a movie that it kind of reminded me of. It's funny you said Cool Hand Luke because I was thinking about Goodfellas for some reason, like where mm. it's this like almost confession, very different thematic films yeah. thematically but it's this confession it's about this group of people i don't know there was there was just something about it i haven't watched goodfellas in a long time i need to rewatch that one maybe we'll have to do an episode eventually <laughs> that's a good movie we've talked about a lot there's a scene very early on where the german emperor is mm -hmm. kind of wanting to commission a work from mozart and they're discussing whether or not to do it in german or italian and or whether or not they should even commission him and I love that there's this little scene where there's all these people and they're talking about music and all of them have their reason for why, like, oh, it should be German or it should be Italian or this music is good, this music is bad. And those are the pros and cons they're giving as to whether or not Mozart should do it. And then the German emperor asks Salieri directly, he's like, he's like, oh, should we get Mozart? And Salieri is the only one who sees through the German emperors like sees through the music of it and he's like, oh, it would upset, I think it's the Italian mm -hmm. monarch or, or whoever if we hired Mozart. So like ironically, Salieri is the only one who sees like the German emperor's true motivation underneath like music. Like it's really just like we want to piss off like the Italians. I don't know. I felt like that said something very early on about Salieri's character where it's like he's he's definitely tuned into this. Like he understands the motivations beyond just like we're trying to make music here, which I think kind of speaks to his own like motivations that mm -hmm. go beyond like he's has this battle internally between the music and the fame or these other. Yeah, he's, he's definitely more attuned to like the politics behind it. And yes, he knows like it's not just like the manifestation of the voice of God. Like that's not what music is to him or that's not just what it music is. He also needs to rise like within the world of men almost. And because that's the same scene where, but I, which I love where then Mozart finally comes in and uh, Salieri has composed this little march for him. And then the mm -hmm. emperor plays it for him. And then Mozart immediately sits down and he's like, he's remembered it and he's playing it again. And he's like, oh, this doesn't really work. And how about this? And then <laughs> within seconds, yeah. you see him like perfecting this melody and then adding layers on top of it and even more. And it's a great contrast because I think that's also a moment where you it really shows that for Mozart, it's all about the music. Like he's sitting there, he has all these important people sitting behind him, the emperor standing next to him. And he's like only, he's only concerned with like the composition that's right in front of him. Like he has this, he's yeah. heard the melody and now he wants to make something more out of it. And obviously to the great like irritation to uh, Salieri. <laughs> to Salieri, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it even like functions as a bit of a, like the initial slap in the face for Salieri that he's confronted with his own, lack of commitment to the actual music that he's 
proposed this simple tune and he didn't go like he kind of like he phoned it in a little bit and he just did something simple just like for more for political appearances more than for the music itself and then he immediately sees Mozart who's treating it like with genuine passion and also he's how like immediately Mozart like elevates it in doing so yeah yeah it's so interesting to me that this movie frames things within this like talent imbued by God context because mm -hmm. there's an element when you're thinking about talent in real life, there's this element of, you know, you were talking about maybe Salieri's phoning it in a little bit or he's not as committed to the music or he didn't have the privilege that Mozart had. And there, there are all those real world nurture environmental impacts on our life that lead to some people being more talented than others at certain things or having more skill or more opportunity to hone their skills. And we can kind of like become jealous or envious of those things. But then there's this other level where it like it does genuinely and the nature versus nurture argument is age old. We we can't in a lot of cases we can't know to which extent, you know, which defines who we are and our abilities more. But like there is sometimes with talent this element where it just it really just feels like this person just magically seems to be good to have a thing that like mm -hmm. I never could have had even if I strived and strived and worked as hard as I could and practiced forever like I'm just never going to be that good that's a weird trap that we can fall into too which is just like even if it's true it's it's not really a very productive way to like think about the world because it can hold you back from like becoming as good as you are because you're just like oh well they're good because God made them good and I'm not good because God cheated me. And then you just stay in that state of, you know, you can become apathetic or instead of like going like, oh, you know, let me be inspired to try to become the best that I can be given my circumstances. Mm -hmm. So there's like that element of it. And then it can also just lead to us like not being able to accept that somebody might be better at something than us in a specific realm. And it's like, sometimes you have to be okay with that. Like, you, like mm -hmm. you might not be the best. You might not be <laughs> Mozart. Like that, and that's, yeah. you don't need that to be like a valid person who, you know, deserves to be loved and cared for and all these things. Like whether or not you are Mozart is not the thing that defines your, your self-worth. You don't need to be like the greatest of all time. Yeah. I think to some extent it's comparable to the idea of a soulmate. Like if there's the idea yes. that there's one person out there who's like perfect for you. And even though that might be true, like there might be one perfect match, like chances are like you're not going to meet that person. And so most of us, we make do with something like the okay option, which is fine enough. But then like every now and then there will be two people who really are, who will find each other and who are like these perfect soulmates and it will feel like you missed out or something. Yeah. But I think like when you talk about the nature versus nurture thing, like I think it's probably like some element of both. And then every once in a right. while you have this perfect storm where they come together, like, and that generates a person like Mozart who has both the talent and the nurture that got it like, that led to him becoming who he was. And, but yeah, most people, obviously they lack either one or like, Maybe even both of them, like they didn't have like any, I'm not sure like to what extent people are born with specific talents or inclinations for certain vocations or passions or whatever. Don't get stuck, you know, wishing you were somebody else, I think is the... Yeah, I'm guessing that's what it comes down to. Like, don't hope for that perfect storm if 
of talent, yeah. nurture even. I guess that's the part I'm getting at with the the nature versus nurture thing is that like there's an extent to this that to some degree just feels like it's a part of life, like this mm -hmm. uh, this feeling of like, and that's that's the trap of envy, I guess, is like there's always going to be somebody that feels like they're better than you or maybe is better than you. And like to some degree, that's a reality that you just kind of have to be okay with. Yeah, I think there's both something that's really inspiring and hopeful about it, as well as something that's just more like sad about it too. I think the inspiring part is when you see someone like Mozart, you see like this pure potential when you combine like talent with nurture and you see like what arises is what Salieri describes, like he describes it as the voice of God. And at one point he also says he has this great like description of the way of he's, he's looking at some of the compositions of Mozart. I think the first time he got like some notes from uh, Mozart's wife and he's looking through like the compositions and he's like describing like it's music as music is ever finished. Displace one note, there would be dis diminishment. Displace one phrase and the structure would fall. And then he said like, I was staring through the cage of those meticulous ink strokes at an absolute beauty. And that to me, like that's the genuine part of it, like the genuine passion of it. Like there is a potential for true beauty that like humans can create when everything comes together beautifully. But then that's offset, of course, by the sadness of thinking about the amount of people that don't get to do that. Like there's people living with like beautiful talents for amazing skills who just never for some reason or some reason or another, they don't get to practice it or don't get to like let it blossom into what it could truly become. For me, at least it invokes like both the potential of like humanity and human art and as well as like the inevitable sorrow that arises when of course you have to like confront the reality that not everyone is able yeah. to bring it into being, if that makes sense. I definitely understand that there's a, a melancholy in that that I think is real. Yeah, it reminded me a bit of an older video I made. It's called In Search of Absolute Beauty, which was also about the idea that we sometimes have a sense that there's this great beauty somewhere out there, like this absolute beauty, as the film also describes it, and that you can like if only had if we had like the talent and the skills to like touch it or like articulate it and then we always seem to fall like just just like short of it and yeah so there's both like again it's with the first quote i mentioned from salieri that he has the desire but not the skills he says like i, I want to do this but i'm denied talent and i feel that's in some way present here too like we have this feeling like we're drawn to like some great beauty but at the same time we do not seem to be capable of like fully reaching it and or like reaching out to it or like grabbing it that would mean like a true connection with that beauty but yeah it's a complicated phenomenon yeah and i think it, the movie does a great job of presenting like complicated characters and a complicated situation complicated conflicted emotions i love that there's just a lot of messy, inconsistent feelings and like internal conflict and all that stuff in these characters. Well, there's, there's one last issue that I wanted to maybe briefly talk about. And that's, I was curious to hear your thoughts on like the meaning of art as something that's experienced like viscerally and immediately versus like art as something that needs to be explained to you. Because I think this film is 
it's so interesting because it's both showing you, like it's directly like letting you listen to Mozart's music, but again, through Soyeri's confession or like his narration, we also get like what is basically exposition on how to listen to it and like what to recognize and what to, to listen for and how to appreciate it. So I was curious what your thoughts were on like that difference, like what separates those two. Stuff that really grabs you, you know, directly, I think it's hard to top that, like something that just kind mm -hmm. of intuitively grabs you in a certain way. But, you know, I think it would be a little ironic or disingenuous to be in the position that I'm in doing the kind of thing that was that we're doing and not at least think there's some value in like the idea of developing an appreciation. I think it's something that I've got interested in doing because I saw other people doing that for me. Like there were things that I would watch. I mean, that was the initial power of video essays that made me fall in love with them was this idea of like, I would watch a movie and then be like, oh yeah, that's cool. And then you could go and watch a video essay by, you know, every frame of painting or Maslow or Sites or, or lessons from the screenplay and be like, oh wow, there's stuff going on there that I didn't even realize that I didn't know about or like there's more here than first met the eye and then you can go back to that thing and maybe have a deeper appreciation for it and i think there's maybe some people who don't feel that way like you know if it isn't self-evident then what's the point but i don't know i genuinely think there is a process by which you can kind of like deepen your palate might be one way to say it or like with music with food with whatever it is like you can learn more about a thing and then come to appreciate it, mm -hmm. you know, and I think food is the example that I love the most because I think a lot of people have this experience in their life of like when you're a kid, there's a lot of things you don't really maybe like, you know, it's not uncommon for people to be like, oh, that's gross. Wine probably tastes gross to children, you know, most children. It's like there's a lot of things that you're like, you don't understand why anybody would appreciate that or enjoy that or want to eat that. And then as you get older, you like, for a lot of people, they try different things and you come to like appreciate like, oh, this thing that tasted just sour to me, you know, when I was a child, like I now get enjoyment out of. And I think that same thing can happen with art. Part of what can help do that is like seeing other people's passion for it, seeing that like somebody else really enjoys this thing. And then you go, well, okay, maybe there's something there that I'm mm -hmm. not seeing that I didn't, you know, see right away. And you can see that and then actually like start to enjoy something that you didn't enjoy before. Like, I think that's something that, that actually can happen. There's a lot of room for that kind of like opening yourself up to like, oh, you know, what is out there that I might not be enjoying that I could actually learn to enjoy. And then just you know, the beautiful thing about that is you don't like, I mean, some people become pretentious and snobby and elitist. And then they're like, I only like these specific <laughs> good things. But I think for a lot of people, you just expand the breadth of what you like. And then it's like, oh, I just, I can like more. There's more things that I can enjoy now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I think that's beautiful. And I do think it it's something that can happen. And a movie like this is a great example of that. Because this morning I was listening to Mozart and like appreciating it on a level that, you know, a new level because of the film. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's interesting you mentioned food because that was also the example that came to my mind. Like, but I think food is also an interesting metaphor for the way, like the most immediately satisfying aspect of food is basically just salt, fat and sugar. But there's also like a 
precautionary aspect to it because if that's all you're eating like your whole brain chemistry changes a bit and starts becoming like attuned to like if you eat a lot of sugar like the thing that you want is a lot of like sugar like or at least something that's really sweet and so actually like if you do not like widen your like palate or like try out different tastes or like get yourself accustomed to like different flavors different like sensations then at some point like sugar is all you're gonna appreciate so i think it is there's like a warning there that like it might even be important to like expand your horizon a little bit and deepen your understanding of how like in this case different foods work how different flavors work how they combine how they enhance each other and that's something that for me like my girlfriend's really a big foodie and so through her like i've been really getting into food more and also into wine like for me wine was just like wine yet red white right. or pink but now like we went to like a couple of wine tastings and you especially at like the her mother lives in france so we spend a lot of time or quite a bit of time in france and there's these wine houses that we go and visit and then you get to taste the wine at the actual place it's created by the people who are like passionately creating those wines and then yeah. you get the whole story behind it you see the whole rituals that come with wine tasting and you see the people who are kind of like Salieri who are like passionate about it and that's kind of it works infectious and for me the same was kind of true with movies as you said like I, I remember when I first got interested in films I had this moment where I was like okay now I want to learn more about films let me look up like the lists of the best films ever made like I right. saw some like films that were like critically praised and I watched them and I thought like oh wow this is so boring like there was a lot of films that i love right now <laughs> yeah, but that yeah. i didn't appreciate at all back then when i didn't have like any context or like framework to understand what makes them so great or how they even function as movies at all and i think there is a great value in understanding or deepening your understanding of how art forms or just the world in general works in order to really enhance your appreciation of it beyond the the kind of surface level satisfaction that will ultimately just deaden your whole sensitivity towards like the real beauty that's behind all those things i think i think ultimately if you want to come closer to that ideal of like absolute beauty i think that's ultimately something that doesn't just like immediately overwhelm you but that's something that yeah. needs to be like that's in part like constructed in your mind through understanding and learning and appreciation or at least conscious appreciation and yeah i think uh, especially uh, when it comes to classical music and but also just art in general i think amadeus is a film that really communicates that passion and the importance of having people like communicate what passion means to you and then yeah sort of guide you over that threshold into like a path towards experiencing beauty and listening to beautiful music yeah i could say a lot about that subject i wrote a whole video on it recently so i'm not sure if i should launch into further rants on the topic or if that's maybe a good place to wrap up i think you said that very well i think that if you're making that journey into like appreciation i would just say that like the important things to remember are like you don't have to take it super seriously like the goal is to deepen this appreciation and like grow your taste, but you can also follow your interest and your taste in doing that. You don't have to be just like choking down stuff that you you don't like just for the <laughs> sake of like, you know, being cultured or like appreciating something. But at the same time, I think you have to balance that with like the two key things are having an open mind towards like if you don't immediately appreciate something, especially if a lot of other people appreciate it, like 
trying to understand maybe why it was good and like what you're missing. And second, instead of having your predetermined idea of what it is you want to get from a piece of art or from a movie, trying to meet the artist where they are and trying to understand what experience is the person trying to convey through the thing. I think that was the thing for me that really unlocked my ability to appreciate a much broader variety of things was not saying like going into a movie saying, what's the experience I want the director or the the artist to deliver to me? And instead going into it like, you know, open to let me try to experience what the the artist is trying to create the experience they are trying to create for me. Mm-hmm. And like, as soon as I made that kind of mental shift, suddenly like this much broader, expansive, like realm of appreciation, I think opened up. The last thing I'll end on that I think is a part of appreciation too, and why appreciation can be important is like context. Like a lot of times, if you're missing the cultural context, like that's why when you go back, if you're a 21st century young adult or kid or whatever, and you go back and watch Citizen Kane, you might find it boring. And that's not because Citizen Kane is boring. I mean, it is to you in the 21st century, but you're missing the cultural context. And they touch on that, I think, in a funny way in this movie where there's that scene where they're telling him that the song has too many notes and they talk about just like overwhelming the sense. Like Mm. they have this weird idea that you can just overwhelm the senses with too many notes in an evening like there's only so many notes somebody can hear in the course of an evening which to us sounds patently absurd like it's just like that's ridiculous <laughs> if you would li- if you could transport those people to our modern era and play some of our music for them you know by their theory they would probably like have a stroke or something and immediately die uh <laughs> but <laughs> knowing that putting yourself in the shoes of the people who would have been experiencing this music does help i think gain a greater appreciation for it, where it's like, if you think about, you have no television, you have no movies, you have no, like the music maybe you're hearing on a day-to-day basis is at best somebody like strumming probably a poorly made out of tune instrument, like in the streets on your way to Mm -hmm. the market or whatever. And then you go to the opera and it's just like, you know, it's like cinema. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) and if you're able to like understand some of the cultural context of like where this music is coming from and put yourself in that place and be like, okay, let me hear it as if this is the only music that I've ever heard, like of this type. It's like, that's a new appreciation. And you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, this suddenly sounds different. This is something else to me. So that movie to some extent helped me, you know, understand that context surrounding this, the music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's definitely easy to forget sometimes, especially with some of those Mozart tunes that are still so recognizable today that they are like, they are so old. Like this is an art form that's much older than even like than than film. And it's not older than literature. Like even I have the same with books, like really old books. Like I can imagine or like, Sometimes I can't like really imagine that some books are written like hundreds of years ago and then they still feel so relevant today. Like there's something that really can be kind of baffling about it, the way it kind of transports you back or like it connects you to an earlier point in history in the way that you, when you imagine that there were people alive like hundreds of years ago that are enjoying, that were enjoying the same thing that you are enjoying now. But yeah, definitely lots of ways to appreciate uh, 
art, music, other stuff. Mozart. And Mozart. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the show, be sure to check us out on our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula, where you can find exclusive bonus episodes and listen to all of our episodes a week early. Right now, the best way to get access to Nebula is by signing up for CuriosityStream, which comes with a free Nebula subscription. To learn more, visit curiositystream.com slash cinemaofmeaning, or just follow the link in the show notes. And we'll see you again next time.